then you've got a business that does millions and millions of dollars, and then you've got these private equity companies calling you like they do me now and offering you all this money. And you're like, man, actually, I just love this thing. I'm young. I want to give my son a chance. And I know his, his, my ceiling's going to be his floor, so I'm not selling to you right now. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. All right, all right. Luke Williford. What's up, buddy? What's up, man? Hey, Brian. Nice to finally get together, man. I woke you up this morning. Yeah, man. You woke me up from my slumber. Oh my gosh, I was getting my beauty sleep. And then this guy calls me and says, I want to talk laundromats, brother. Let's do it. <laughs> no, nah, man, I'm, I'm super excited. This is going to be a good one. This is a long time coming. And I owed you, I owed you a podcast back because I had to cancel because I was super overwhelmed last time when we had one scheduled last minute because I just didn't have a voice anymore because of my book launch. I was just talking. And it's actually super cool, dude, because I don't do calls before noon ever for two years now i don't take a call before noon and that's intentional because it's my creative time and it's when i do my morning routine it's when i do all my stuff but you had a compelling reason for me to take a a call before noon because you equally had your rules with your kids and your family tell the people what your rule was yeah thank you for making that for me but my kids and being a good dad and husband are my number one goal ahead of my businesses and so in the mornings, I work out about 5 a.m. And then I get back and I wake my daughter up and then I take her to school at 7.30 a.m. And then I come back home and, and spend a little time with them. And then I try to get off by about 3 o'clock. So I like to start rolling about 8.30 a.m. here in the office. And then I, I try to get out when they're getting out of school. My goal is to spend as much time with them as possible. They're in crucial ages. I have six three, almost four, and one. And we just booked a Disney cruise for February for my three-year-old who's turning four here in January. Pumped about that. But yeah, it's just some guardrails I have to put in place to make sure I'm actually prioritizing what needs to be prioritized. That's kind of why I don't work in the afternoons. Dude, I love that, man. And that's why we do it. Because that's the season of life that I'm excited for. The grass is always greener on the other side. And people watch my stuff and watch me travel. I'm in Columbia right now. And it's, dude, but on the flip side of that, I'm not in a rush. But I think that each season is equally appreciable to where when you're going through it, you're all like, man, I want to be that that single guy going around. And then when you're the single guy going around, you're like, man... I can't wait to have a daughter or have a kid. And then they're just like looking at me and they just want to go on a freaking Disney cruise. So it's funny. (laughs) It's also funny because now we're doing this conversation. My actual accent is coming out because you got a country accent. So it's like people can actually hear how my real voice sounds now (laughs) because I got a podcast voice. We're going to get a lot of rapport with the Southern listeners for sure. Yeah. But buddy, let's jump into it. So you are in laundromats. So that's a super niche industry. So tell us how many mats do you own? What's the revenue look like? 
And then we'll break it down into how you got into the asset class in general and then how you scale it because it's two different types of monsters that we need to tackle. Absolutely. Our third generation laundromat owner was given an opportunity and grabbed that opportunity uh, by the kahunas, if you will, and have squeezed the, the life out of the lemon and continue to do. And now I'm able to help others. But I own 38 laundromats today. In our family, we have close to 90 laundromats with the different entities. Me and my brother own the largest of those, which has 38 units. We did five this past year, and five's been our average over the last decade. We did sell some to family members, so I've built out about 50 over the last decade myself. So general contractor, we do the contracting of these of these builds. We DIY pretty much everything. Uh, as far as revenue, the laundromat industry averages each unit, uh, the 30000 across America, average about $140,000 in revenue and next to nothing in profit. But that's because they haven't, they're zombie mats. So they haven't properly prioritized their customers. They haven't properly equipped their facilities. So what we did is we made this our full-time thing. Most people own some real estate or are a lawyer that has one laundry on the side and they just collect the cash. They never report things. We do the exact opposite to the tune of even we created a software company and created a RFID-based payment system to eliminate coins because with coins, there was no verifications. Uh, So we actually uh, took that on ourselves because the ones on the market were very dated as the laundromat industry is just slow uh, to come into the new new age with technology. Um, but what we're able to do with this, this uh, card system is create massive loyalty. So our customer, the average laundromat customer spends about $13 a visit. Okay. So uh, my average customer, we've been able to get that average spend up to $21 a visit. Uh, and if you break it down across a month, my average customer spends about $31 uh, so I need about a thousand to twelve hundred members per location to have a good profitable location, if that makes sense, between thirty and forty thousand in revenue. So thankfully, I have four, almost forty, thirty-eight of those. You can do the math on the big numbers and and figure that out. But we're a extremely profitable company. I'm fortunate to have my brother. We yin and yang very well. So he's like back of the house CFO, and I'm the COO, and together uh, we are the CEO. Uh, along with our, the good Lord and our wives. So, uh, but uh, yeah, that's a little bit about us in a nutshell, but I'm a workaholic. So I'm a C student making more money than teachers. I would love to talk to some of those teachers who gave me those C's and D's in college. But yeah, that's a little bit about what we do. I've got a crew of guys. We do all the installations. I've got a team of subcontractors that know what we're doing now. We mainly grow through acquisition. So we like to buy because when you buy, you get the existing customer base as well as you get the infrastructure. Typically, we'll come in, we'll remove all the equipment and put in all new equipment, new floors and get it back open and turn around very quickly. By doing that, I'm eliminating a competitor and I finance all the equipment. So one of the things I like to say to do is eliminate the competition and use other people's money. So that's one of the things that you can take as a li- listener, especially in real estate as well. And by eliminate, I don't mean <laughs> that in a nasty way, but I heard him say that one time and I was like, Make, makes pretty good sense. But we are, we serve our customers extremely well. We go above and beyond for our customer base. So 
That's Love that, man. what we do. We've got about so, 40,000 customers a month that we serve. And most of those are doing laundry for four to five people. So over a few hundred. Dude, that's, that's insane, man. So yeah, 40,000 40, customers a month at $21 a visitor, $31 per is the 1.24. So dude, so you're saying the average laundromat does about 144 without much take home without much bottom line like that is just what they do so you guys are doing about 360 a mat yeah from what yeah, i'm penciling sure. yeah for sure that's where you've got to be profitable and what we've done there's some trade-offs to the way we operate what we've done is focus solely on the self-service customer so we don't do wash dry fold pickup and delivery any of that we never take liability of huh. customers clothes that's actually super interesting because that's normally the first go-to that somebody tries to do to add the additional revenue is the Absolutely. wash dry service. So why Absolutely. not? You can't grow to 38 profitable locations and still be able to hang with your kids and, and have managers who have peace of mind. It would just be a logistical labor and liability nightmare. So we've chosen a trade-off and to focus on that self-service customer rather than to to chase the pickup and delivery and wash dry fold. However, I've got friends who have one to to five stores or so and they do wash dry fold and pick up and delivery and they do that successfully, but their hand has to be on that. It's not Pulse. something you can easily outsource. There's been private equity, venture capital has burned up millions, tens and tens of millions of dollars trying to get into the pickup and delivery side of things in our industry. And it's just not scalable nationally because it's not profitable, but because of all the low labor you've got to hire. So one of my rules, every staff member, we've got about 85 staff members across our 38 locations and every staff member's full time. So I commit to them full time. They commit to me full time. And and that creates a, a marriage that works a lot better than when you're just trying to squeeze as much as you can. So they're committed to me full time. I'm committed to them full time. So it's backwards from what most laundry owners would think and even potential yeah. laundry owners or real estate investors. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm super interested in the scale part because that's what I want to dive into is the nuts and bolts of the business because that's super interesting, especially in the metrics that you just described, which are how do we do this where I can actually be with my young kids? But instead of building another job here, you want to build a business. And that's what's rare in, in the laundromat industry is because a lot of people aren't optimizing. They're not improving. It's just the same old kind of 50%, 50% op, OPEX, 10% into the pocket, not reported. That's what happens across the industry. So before we get into how to scale, why laundromats? For some people that are listening that maybe have heard off topic, maybe they've heard a podcast or read a book somewhere or heard Cody Sanchez talk about buying a laundromat. They're like, why the heck would you buy a laundromat? When they know about this real estate thing, why a laundromat? Why would they buy a small business? Consistent revenue, man. Our customers continue to come back. What we do is a need. It was deemed essential during covid we went to the parking lot during COVID in the grocery store in, the, in my business. The laundromat were the only things open in these whole centers, which, which proved that we do serve a need that has to be met. A lot of people don't want to own a washer or dryer. So we're also competing with the middle class. A lot of people love to come to us because your generation, Brian, they don't know a flathead from a Phillips head. If that thing starts leaking in their apartment, they don't know what to do. 
And so we've been able to get a lot of those customers who come to us. They enjoy the Wi-Fi. They enjoy the atmosphere. And we're just pulling from a bigger market. So the laundromat industry is known for thinking it's like a pizza where we just divide it up. Another laundry opens and we just share the the customer base. Actually, there's all these customers out here that we've created in new laundry. I love to use the illustration. If you open a Starbucks right here on the corner and you open a Luke's Coffee, which one is going to do more? Luke's Coffee is going to do 300,000 in revenue. Starbucks is going to do 2 million. That's because they know what they're doing. They're dialed in. They've got a brand and uh, they figured out how to create more coffee drinkers in the area and how to uh, create more demand on coffee and how to get more out of the existing coffee drinkers. So the laundry customer that was spending $80 a month, I've got them spending $120 because it's easy. They can use their card. They can tap. They've got friendly uh, staff that we have in there who are bilingual, able to help everyone. The laundry industry is great because they have the clothes continue to get dirty and clothes continue to go down in price. So a lot of people, even people who are uh, lower income, they have closets full of a lot of clothes. And so they continue to use all those clothes. Those clothes need to be washed. And thankfully, we, the wash house, as well as other laundromat owners across the country, are providing that service for them. And a lot of people don't want to spend that extra for the wash, dry, fold, or the pickup and delivery. So they come on down to the laundromat. And that's why it's a great business. People say, why would you tell somebody? Because you come to, to Raleigh and try to open a laundry, I will crush you. And that's just <laughs> how it is. I'll, I'll go free at multiple stores. Now, if you want to uh, come to the area, I can definitely tell you where there's pockets that we aren't serving. And maybe you could serve. I never drop a store right on somebody else. Um, so always stay away, especially if they're doing a good job. I will contact them about acquisition. But our industry has been known for doing that, just dropping a bunch of laundries in one area. We don't want to see that across the country. Do your due diligence, hire a consultant like me. One of the things I've done is created coaching for laundry owners, mainly guys who have four to five locations and are looking to scale. But I also created a free podcast with my brother called the Williford Brothers. So if you're out there and you have additional questions, you can check out that podcast. I created that as a free source to go and answer all these questions I was getting in my DMs on social media, where I could just send people that could go to one spot, freely answer it. If they want to come back and engage in, in working with me, we can talk about that at that time. But it's a, it's a wonderful business, but it's like everything else. You get, you get out what you put in. So um, sure. a lot of things online, it's like totally passive, which that's not actually true. Um, so... 100%. So let's go in uh, real quick into, so now people understand the asset class. So let's go into how to buy one and then what red flags to look out for. Because I know some, because I've gone down this road before of trying to buy a map myself. And so I know a bunch. And that's why when you just said that you completely retool locations, that was, I was like, whoa, okay. You don't hear that because <laughs> that's normally like a massive red flag is, okay, this, need, this site needs to be completely retooled. Ain't no way I'm doing that deal. So you guys got like your start in here. It sounds like it's something that your family was doing and now you guys are just scaling it and bringing it into the 21st century. Absolutely. But for somebody that's listening to this, that's, that's interested, I think genuinely most people that are listening to this, it's like you have people that are trying to buy these zombie mats and then just put like 
a minimum wage operator in there and just get cash flow, right? So you can make what, like probably four, four to six thousand a month or something along those lines. Is that about ballpark cash flow take home for one of Absolutely. these? Absolutely. But with those margins, then if something happens, a major repair or something, then you're nonprofit. Then you're screwed. That's why you want to scale this thing as quickly as possible at least a couple locations. And that's why our industry is consolidating. There's there's more owners have multiple stores and take it serious. But if you want serious revenue, you've got to take this seriously. You've got to get out from behind the podcast, right. the couch, the office desk, the wherever you're consuming things and take action. So my first step would be, if I could do it in steps for illustration, Brian, it would be Get your butt into the local laundromat. So go into the laundries, take some clothes, whatever. Go in there and just talk to the owner. Worst thing they can do is ask you to leave, but they typically don't because the manager's in there and and she's happy to talk, typically friendly. One of the ways I get information from laundromat owners, when I go on consulting visits, they're like, I can't get this person to give me the owner's number. So that's very easy for me. I go in there, I say, hey, how you doing? You work here? And the lady goes, yes. And I go, let me tell you, I'm a certified technician on laundry equipment and I am. I can fix all of these tagged out machines as well as I have used equipment that I sell. I can't sell new equipment, but I do own used equipment and I can sell it. I said, would you be interested in giving me your owner's information so I could contact him about fixing these machines or selling him some replacement machines for all these machines that are out? Now we've given her incentive because on the weekends, She's got to bounce customers around and say, this one doesn't work. So she goes, oh, absolutely, sir. Here's his number. His name's Brian Lubin. Here's his cell phone number. Then you call him and you're able to- How would you do it? So what's some advice you can give to somebody that doesn't have that niche knowledge though? Oh, that's what I'm telling them. Go in there and say, hey, I've got a friend named Luke Williford. Uh, He he fixes laundry equipment as well as whatever. As as long as you're straight up and honest, if you go in there and say, I'm looking to buy the place, they're known to turn you down. The reason is about 75% of laundromats are being robbed by the attendant. So she doesn't want any management to change. She's taking quarters home. She's starting machines under the table, people paying her cash. Um, there's all sorts of things because the owner just gets so fed up with it. He just doesn't even, he just comes by and takes whatever cash is there that, that is left after, uh, his management handles it. And that's when we're able to come in and really see the potential of a location. But things to look for are low prices, out of order equipment, a manager with keys. If you can find out that the manager or the person working has keys to the coin boxes that the revenue that the owner's getting isn't what, because every person that has keys and is employed in a coin operated business steals. It stinks. It is what it is. It just, you can turn an honest person into a crook and they are very prevalent in the laundromat industry. And one of the reasons that we created our own software. Now my guys can do the deposits and everything. I don't even see the money. It never comes back here. We run about 50% credit card, 50% cash, all that money goes straight from the store, straight in the side of the bank vault, deposited. Bam, I just check on my computer to make sure uh, that everything matches up. So it, with, with that technology, it is able to become a passive business. I was in Costa Rica a few weeks ago, and we had a great week. And I'm like, man, I'll just stay down here for a while. My kids had to get back to school. But um, yeah, that's awesome. But yeah. 
to go back to what I was saying before is like you before I, I feel like people were just trying to jump into it just to jump into it. But now mm-hmm. I feel like people are actually there's a lot of people like my age and a lot of the millennials that are like, hey, we do want the passive component, of course, which would be mm-hmm. a lie if you didn't. Yeah. Uh, but they are still willing to put the work in. They mm-hmm. want to put the paint on. They want to create a good experience. They want to bring it into the new century. They want to put the Wi-Fi and the card readers and everything in the mirrors so that the, the mothers can be able to see it behind them and feel yeah. safe and all that stuff. So it's like, so it, it is a passive, a more passive vehicle, a more passive business to run. But then you guys are saying, okay, cool. We're going to go above and beyond with it. So mm-hmm. let's walk through. So, most of these deals that you guys are getting, I'm trying to walk through for yeah, somebody so, that's brand new that's yeah. trying to buy one of these. So are you doing these SBA? Are you doing them seller financing? What's that conversation look like when you do get an owner? So typically we do, if it's a build out of an of real estate that we buy that wasn't a laundromat, we do, we obviously finance the real estate, but the build out cost, we pay cash for that. And then we finance the equipment 100%. If it's your first time, your equipment finance will look about, they'll want you to have 30% um, injection. But you probably, would, you probably wouldn't do a retool for your first mat. No, right? no. We used to just put lipstick and makeup and fix the part yeah. and run it. Uh, until we got to this scale, uh, we didn't do that. But what, my, what it looks like is, uh, so let's just take one example. I just bought a store the other day, 210, 210,000. Okay. <laughs> it's got it's got equipment in it. Okay. And it's a lease, but the lease is very cheap, but it's in one a very high demographic. So the store right now is doing about twenty five hundred dollars a week. And I paid two ten because it's got pretty it's got decent equipment. So I was able to sell that equipment for forty thousand dollars before I even bought it. So now I'm at one seventy, one hundred and seventy thousand. And then I'll, I've got all new equipment. It's a smaller store. It's only 2,000 square feet, which is the smallest pretty much that I do. My average store is about 3,000 square feet. I've got one that's about 6,500 and one that's about 1,500 and everywhere in between. But average is three to 3,500 square feet. So we're at 170. Um, and then I do signage and floors. That's probably another 30, 40. So I'm back to the, let's just say 200 with signs and floors on 2,000 square feet. Then I order the equipment and install it and just do a makeover real quick, swap the machines out, put everything new, put our brand on it, market it very heavily, run our double your money promotion, get good rapport in the neighborhood, light up the parking lot like it's Disney World, make it very safe, add large capacity machines. So I take out all the, a lot of times people buy the small machines. So I take out the small machines and put in the big, but if I didn't have the resources to do that, I would fix everything that's there. I would still light up the parking lot. I would put a brand on it and I would extend the hours. They're closing at 8 PM. Now what they don't know is I do about 20% of my revenue from 8 PM to midnight. So they're closing at 8 PM. So last wash is 7 PM. So I already know right now I'm going to gain that by extending those hours. So that deal for us, we're going to inject about 400,000 in new equipment and have 600,000 in it. Um, and it should do at four or five terms a day, it should do around uh, $7,500 a week and be extremely profitable with that $2,000 a month rent that we've got on that space. 
Can we? So let's go over a PL real quick because that's what people are going to start looking at. Right now, they're probably experienced with buying them at, is going to be looking at biz, buy, sell, or something like that. And they're seeing them listed at multiples of revenue. Some are going to be listed at a 3X. Some of them are going to be listed at a 5X. Some of them are going to be listed at a freaking 7X. You're like, what the heck's going on here? And so walk us through when somebody that's like new to analyzing businesses, they're looking at this P&L and what can they take at face value? What should they dig into? And then what are red flags? Because I know it's like one of them, you can look at the lease. You can look at the equipment. You're like, okay, what brands are these Dexters or these Speed Queens going on here? What's the age of the equipment? What are you digging into on a P&L? And then what do you rip it apart to, to justify your offer? When you can say, hey, I, I looked over this. Mm-hmm. You're listed at a 4X. I'm offer a 3X. Here's why. First of all, the P&L that they provide for you is most assuredly inaccurate. But for this illustration, we'll pretend it is accurate. So I really take, I take more of the demographics and potential of the site and close good competitors. So those are a couple of things. But number one is the lease. I say it again. The lease is extremely important. I see people make the landlord fat while working tirelessly and never make a profit. And I don't want to see you do that. So the lease is extremely important. So I like to be around no more than $20 a square foot. So anything greater than $20 a square foot is a red flag, okay? If, if they're paying, let's say, let's use a 3,000 square foot store for illustration times uh, $20 is $60,000 a month. I meant $60,000 a year. So that would be uh, as much as I would want to pay, which is $5,000 a month. You want to keep you want to keep your rent at about 15 to 20% of your revenue. If it exceeds that, it cuts into your profit big time. Hunting and finding a good lease. One of the things to value a laundromat also, if I can go up the street and rent a place for $15 a square foot, but this gentleman who's got a laundry is trying to sell me the laundry and the lease is $22 a square foot, I might as well just go up the street and, and put a laundry there. You're buying the lease when you get a laundry. So if it has no term left on the lease, you can just call the landlord and try to get a 10-year lease and he may sign up with you and you don't have to purchase the laundromat. Uh, I always like to approach the owner first, but if we can contact these landlords and, and get leases where there's leases have expired, because a laundromat that is for sale with a month-to-month lease, they got nothing. That's why it's so important to protect your renewals once you become a laundromat owner. And that's what I help all my guys do to make sure we're checking that out. Yeah, the lease. Second is location and real estate location in the laundromat. What is the potential of that site? So I like to run the demographics and I like for there to at least be 10,000 people in a one mile radius and 20,000 in a two mile radius. These are just rough numbers. Some rural markets that might not meet that. Those are just some small criteria that I have for the guys that call me around here and for our stores as well. And then what I like to see is at least a 50% rent ratio. Anything better than that, say there's 5,000 households within that one mile. I want to see that at least 2,500 of those households are renter occupied households. Any more is great, but if it's less than 50%, it, it's a red flag because you don't know the potential. Also on the P&L is labor. Oftentimes they leave that out because they 
pay their attendance in under the table, all sorts of things I see in the laundromat business. So that that's one other thing to look at. And then terms of your lease. We're an anchor tenant. We cannot move across the street like a shoe store or whatnot. We're an anchor tenant. We need to sell ourselves to the landlord as such, and we need to sign leases as such, meaning we need I typically do five years with three five-year options or either 10 years up front with two five-year options, but I like to lock it down for 20 years. Uh, that way I have peace of mind. Uh, for that new person, it's, man, I'm going to have to sign a guarantee for that first five years. Yeah, you are. Um, there's a few ways to avoid that, put up some collateral or something, uh, but you've got to believe in your business uh, and you got to be signing a lease that makes sense for you as the business owner. Um, always make a financial decision. Do not make an emotional decision with the laundromat thing. And do not listen to anyone who has incentive in selling you equipment. The way the laundromat industry works is we have manufacturers, the Speed Queens, the Dexters, then we have distributors. Distributors sell the brands in certain areas. And there's a lot of great ones out there, but there's also distributors who take advantage of especially newbies in telling them about, about new projects as well as selling them on equipment that they don't need. Uh, but when you're acquiring, just like real estate, you make your money when you buy. So you don't want to overspend. Be okay walking away from that deal. I know you, you know the same in real estate. It's don't get emotional. The numbers don't make sense. They don't make sense. I've seen and helped after the fact. I've helped a lady I'm thinking of who, who lost her whole retirement because she bought a business and retooled the whole thing. And it was in an area that just didn't justify the investment and the people weren't there. Yeah. So make sure that it's the right location. And to do that, I gave you some minimums, 10,000 people, mm -hmm. one mile, 20,000 and a two mile. That's most likely where you're going to be pulling from and so also P&L, let's see whether the owner is showing what they're paying themselves because they create a multiple a lot of times of without showing what they were taking home. What they're taking, yeah. Yeah, so they're not considering that into the fact um, and how much time they're actually spending there because when you do your uh, pro forma for your P&L, when you take it over, you're going to have to put in there um, – you know, the pay of the staff that you hire. So we run 10 hours a day attended, and then we run partially attended. The Basically, it's a partially attended model. So our average store manager makes about, I don't know, $15 an hour, which is pretty good. But we want their full time and we want them to stay with us. So the metrics of one location are much different than three and four. I always tell my, my coaching clients, and I'll tell you, you want to get a million to a million dollars in revenue as fast as possible. That's going to be three to four good stores, really good stores. So if we can get the three to four good stores, have a million in revenue, we can hire a regional manager to handle mm. a lot of the day-to-day -day operations from it for us. What does that regional manager look like? He used to work for an HVAC company that drove him in the ground or a plumber. If you're not technically inclined, you're going to have to hire somebody who is and pay that person. If you are, that's definitely a plus because it is a mechanics business. You've got water coming in and water going out. We're basically reselling utilities through washers and dryers. So it, it's not very complicated if you can simplify it and then concentrate on the self-service customer first. And then if you want to grow into the wash dry fold or pick up and deliver, you do that later. But 
What yeah. do you think about <clears throat> what do you think about the venom machines? Because venom machines are always a big thing. People yeah. have. Yeah, we started our own vending company, Coca Cola. <laughs> Everything inside my store I own. So I, I get hit up every week by different ATM companies and different things to put their things in. We tried it years ago and they just don't service them well. And it gives us a bad look when they don't service them well. So we've got a brand. We market on TV, on billboards, on everything. So we have to make sure we're meeting that brand. We can't promise one thing and then deliver another. I always say the worst marketing in the world is good marketing for a poor service or product. You should know so, with Centos. Yeah. <laughs> so you bought so you just bought the whole vending machine company or did you just buy a couple of units? No, I created my own. So we decided and Coke wouldn't listen to me when I had seven, eight stores. Uh, but Coca-Cola finally said, okay, you got dozens of stores now. We're going to actually provide the the drink machine. So we sell canned sodas and we sell canned sodas at now a dollar fifty. We have our software on those machines as well. So it's all there. And then we have a vending machine where we sell snacks and chips and laundry products like uh, fabric softener and uh, Tide and different things like that. So that makes up about 5% of our revenue. So if you add that, if a store's doing five grand a week, it should do $250 a week in vending. That's just what it averages out to be, 1000 a month if it's doing 20000 About 5% of revenue typically is your vending. Talk about diversification, man. You got a quote about this, and this is spot on with it. Everything that I do, we started a real estate company uh, to facilitate so we wouldn't pay we wouldn't pay rent to a landlord. We'd pay it to ourselves because we own laundromats. We started the real estate company because of the laundromat. We started the software company to also help the laundromats. We don't diversify. And a famous quote that we have is we don't diversify. So a lot of people say you need to diversify. And a lot of times that ends up being diversifying, meaning you get to concentrating on so many different things that you don't come really successful at one thing. So you out there who already have four businesses and now you want to jump into the laundromats, I would say scale back your other businesses before you look to go into the laundromats. Become the best at one thing. I have to keep my blinders on because new opportunities continue to be presented to me. And now I have the resources to invest in all sorts of, of, uh, of opportunities. But I have to remember that I'm going to continue. I tell myself, duplicate the same thing. So I know laundromats in and out. I'm going to duplicate that and continue to duplicate that. I could start a fitness company, gyms. I could start. And I've thought about all these things, but I'm like, no, I know one thing. Uh, and once you have mastery of something, you're not having to make it up. Like for this internet, I don't have to make anything up about laundromats because I just, I you know myself. I'm not good at talking about what I don't know about. But this thing, I've got so much experience from installation of the equipment all the way through to acquisitions and so on. But yes, it's don't get to doing 12 different things haphazardly. Get to doing one or two extremely well. And that's what we, we try to do here. Yeah. And that's what I do with our group with Action Academy. I sold all my real estate just to have the cash. Yeah. I'm not even investing the cash. I still have the profits from the real estate that I sold for six, seven months ago. And I ain't touched. I haven't even looked at it. I didn't do a 1031 exchange. Like we did some tax loopholes to where the tax ain't going to be too bad. It'll be about 10, 15%, but whatever. 
at the end of the day, I just wanted to have that in the back pocket just in case so I could run my business from a place of abundance, not scarcity. That's good. And I could and I could just I knew that if everything were went wrong, like I have that in the back. So like for yeah. me, in the first year or two of business, I'm like, that's super important because it allows you to make decisions that are smart and not based off of emotion, like what you're talking about. So like our thing, I'm like, dude. I got people coming at me every single week with, hey, do this multifamily deal with me. Do this commercial deal with me. Do this self-storage deal with me. Do this laundromat. And it's just, dude, no, I'm going to keep my one thing and I'm going to buy companies that are going to be on top of what we do to help facilitate people. So that'll probably look like virtual assistant companies. or probably look like these media companies, digital companies, stuff like Mm -hmm. that, that will go alongside. It's the same thing. It's called vertical integration. Vertical, yeah. I got a buddy that's going to be a billionaire from self-storage, and now he does development. And so he bought a development company, and then he bought a construction company. Then he bought a garage door company because guess who's buying the garage doors? Him for his units. Now he's doing software. So it's the same thing that you're doing. So if what people are listening, if they could take something away, it's pick your thing, pick the flag that you want to plant, and then look around for other companies to absorb that are going to be within that. And you're doing it through mergers and acquisition and you're doing it through vertical integration. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to hit on something real quick because some people may be listening to this and they may be thinking, how the heck do I compete with somebody like Luke? This guy knows what he's talking right. about. He's been in there 10, 20, 30 years. The answer is you won't and you can't. So what you do is you go, if you're new to laundromats, you go to a Luke you go to either Luke directly or you find someone like him yep. and you hitch your wagon to them. That's how you get started. Can you Absolutely. talk a little bit about that process? Yeah. And thankfully for you out there listening, our industry is so underserved. So it's it, we've definitely made an made a improvement over the last decade, but there's still zombies that cus- communities have to go to because they have to go to it. And we're trying to make it to where they have a choice to choose a better facility. So there is, thankfully for you guys, you don't have to try to compete with my laundries or anyone else who's doing it really well. If you find somebody doing it well in your market, say, man, I love what you're doing. I'm looking to get into the industry. And they may shun you, but at the end of the day, let them know. I'm not looking to be in your territory. Don't go within four or five miles of them. And they will likely not go within four or five miles of you. And there's just... Our industry is underserved. Some industries, there's too many gyms or whatever compared to gym users. For us, there's so many more laundry customers and laundry out there that needs a home to do that laundry in. And for many, you're like, everybody has a washer or dryer. Let me tell you, they do not. I promise you. Um, When you provide a wonderful place uh, for them to go, uh, they're going to come. But there's so many opportunities out there in our business. People ask me, how do you get opportunities? I love it, man. I talk to everybody in North Carolina. I've been in every laundromat in North Carolina. And I love it. I love going in and meeting people. I just, I fall in love with the process. I love the process. People are like, when's your next one? We've got five in the works. I just closed on one. We'll be retooling that one. I just keep it on a little whiteboard. It's not that complicated. Every day I have a little checklist and I just check off the little list. And at the end of a month, a year, a decade, the perpetual effect of checking all those little things, then you've got a business that does 
millions and millions of dollars. And then you've got these private equity companies calling you like they do me now and offering you all this money. And you're like, man, actually, I just love this thing. I'm young. I want to give my son a chance. And I know his, his, my ceiling is going to be his floor. So I'm not selling to you right now. Of course, there's always a number, but uh, that's going to be that's going to be my question because I'm like, where, where you guys are right now? I'm sure they're already starting to offer you up into the eight figures for your portfolio. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, absolutely. Yeah, so it's just what's your, what is your number? Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm hoping to grow to to where a ten multiple would be a hundred million dollars. So, and with all our systems and software, I think that would be cool. But I'm not. Gonna I bet make you do it. I. What now? I bet you get there. Oh, yeah, for sure. We're almost there and, and we'll continue to duplicate this. And what's crazy about this is I don't have to go to other states. I can continue to grow in my same geography. And there's so many efficiencies of scale. If you buy laundry, do not buy one in one town and then one two hours away. Grow around the same area. Then you can use that same labor, core labor group to to run those stores. If you have a people call me for consulting, yeah, my goal is to open 50 laundries, one in every state. I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. What you want to do <laughs> is dominate markets. So go to metropolitan areas and some of the bigger cities and the suburbs of those bigger cities and just dominate that market. Then everybody has a wash house card or Brian's laundromats card, and then they can use that everywhere. A lot of our customers use three to four of our locations. So what I've done with our software on that side is I've taken the person that uses the laundromat 10 times and they used to use us six and they cheat on us four times. Now they're using us 10 out of 10 times and they're instead of spending $13, they're spending $21. So that's how you grow. And the, the back end money side of that is just astronomical. Yeah. So where can people find out more about you and what you do? And if they want to do any consulting with you, where do they go? Absolutely. You can first check out our podcast, which is the Wilford Brothers on YouTube or any podcast platforms. What we do is we create an episode that is a question. So every episode is a question. So you can go through, look at the questions you have, and you'll be able to get more nuts and bolts as we dive into each specific question over 15 to 30 minutes. We keep them pretty topic specific. And then me personally, follow me on Instagram, Luke F. Williford. I share my day-to-day life there and have for years and grown a cool following. And that's where my coaching business grew out of. I do have Actually, I'm full now on my one-on-one coaching, praise the Lord, which is cool. I've got some guys I work with, but we also offer uh, one-on-one boot camps where you can come and spend a day with me. I'll take you on a tour of all my laundromats, show you exactly how we operate, pull up P&L, show you a little bit of everything. You'll stay here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'd love to meet you and spend the day with you and take you to as many of my laundromats, my competitor laundromats, whatever you want to do and talk shop and show you the mechanics of the laundry equipment. Uh, It gives you the ability to go into this as a uh, knowledgeable investor uh, rather than, than someone who gets told. So once you see me, you go back, people aren't telling you, the brokers aren't telling you, the distributor's not telling you, you're actually knowledgeable and you're telling them how this is going to go down And uh, I've been able to save people hundreds of thousands of dollars with that investment in coming down here. And I also come to you. If you got a market you think is booming, I'd love to fly out and spend a day with you. And we'll go into every laundromat we can. I think 
38 is the most I've been in in one day, but but we can we can surely do that. Love taking laundry tours and, and seeing where opportunity is. Each market is different. So rent rates are different. Real estate is different. If you can get the real estate, you will thank yourself in 15 to 20 years. So that's why we try to grow in areas where we can get the real estate. In Raleigh, we can't get the real estate. It doesn't make sense. One thing I wanted to mention that I forgot in my notes, if you're thinking about the laundromat business, you need risk tolerance. Not only financial risk tolerance, but you need emotional risk tolerance. What that means if somebody breaks in or if a homeless dies in your bathroom is that's going to change your life. You do not need to pursue this business. Okay, it is not for the faint of heart. We serve the public and a lot of times that gets messy. The money's great, but that money represents people. And when you're serving thousands and thousands of people, there's that one or two that are bad. So just make sure that you not only have financial risk tolerance, but you also have uh, emotional risk tolerance and can handle those things. So that's something I just wanted to inject. No. Yeah, that's super important. All right, brother. I appreciate it, man. It's been freaking awesome. So guys, go follow Luke and, and check it out. And dude, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Brian. Wonderful meeting you, man. We got to meet in person soon. I'll have to come to an Action Academy event. Also, I'll plug your book real quick. I just ordered the book from Passive let's, to Passionate. So I'll go, have that brother. copy soon. I just, go, I, I just, placed, just placed my order, man. Congrats <laughs> on that, man. Keep up the good work. Thanks, brother. With that, this has been Brian and Luke with the Action Academy Podcast, signing off. Hey, real quick, if you're still listening to today's episode, I'm assuming you got value from it, so I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this show is to help over 1 million people do what they want, when they want, with who they want, and I can only do that with your help. There are two main ways that a podcast grows. One is through ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you could please leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as send this to one or two friends that you think would get value from it, we can reach the people that we're looking to reach. Thanks in advance. Talk tomorrow.